Well, I think I've mentioned at least once or twice that at the Easter Vigil in a few weeks we have um, three individuals that have been going through our RCIA process for a while now who are, uh, will receive baptism at the vigil. Many others who are already baptized that will come into the church throughout the course of, of this calendar year. And Lent has always been set aside as a special time of preparation for, for those who are not baptized but who are preparing to receive that sacrament um, at the Easter Vigil. And the, the third, fourth, and fifth Sundays of Lent, going back to the ancient church, have been set aside for what are called the scrutinies, uh, which are sort of some short prayers coupled with a minor exorcism, not like the exorcisms you see in the movies, but a very non-dramatic sort, of, uh, sort of exorcism. And they're sort of set aside for that because, of course, until we are incorporated into Christ through baptism, we're still, to some extent, under the dominion of, of sin and the devil. And so we pray in a special way for those who are preparing for, for baptism during this, this latter half of Lent. So this Sunday next and the, and the Sunday after that, at the 11 a.m. Mass, we'll have the scrutinies after the homily um, for, for those three individuals. Two of them couldn't be here today, so we'll do the, their scrutinies during the week. Um, but uh, but for, for Abby, who's here today, we'll do the scrutiny for her after the homily. And also, just just an invitation, I've mentioned this before, please pray for, for these three people, Stephen, Cruz, and Abby, as they, they make sort of their final preparations for, for the sacrament of baptism. Today's gospel, which is a long one, <laughs> but a very beautiful one, uh, has been for over 1,600 years uh, the gospel that's been read on the third Sunday of, of Lent, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well and her encounter with our Lord. And one of the things that this story um, illustrates in very symbolic language, but also in the actual events that, that occurred between our Lord and this woman, is the process of conversion. Right? We've, we've been talking and praying and, and thinking about this throughout Lent, this, this reality of, of turning to the Lord, of converting our hearts, and, and, and moving closer to Him and away from sin and the world and, and so on. And when we, when we see our Lord encounter this Samaritan woman at the well, she gradually moves from a place of being really, really skeptical of him. At first she's like, who are you, random like Jewish man? This is totally against the rules for you to even be talking to a woman in public, much less a Samaritan woman. Like, you're, you're odd and strange and I'm very skeptical of you. And then of course at the end of the story she's at the point where she, she goes back to her town and she's telling anyone and everyone that he's the Messiah. And it's, it's sort of this, this progression. She slowly <laughs> comes to faith in him throughout this encounter. And I just want to walk through the, the, the main points of that because these sort of hinges of conversion should be present in our own lives as well. Not just once, not just when we first make a decision to follow the Lord, but really this should be a, a process and a dynamic that plays out on a daily basis. Right? Conversion is both a one-time event and an ongoing thing throughout our life. The first thing to know about this encounter of our Lord with the Samaritan woman is that Jesus is the one who speaks first. He takes the initiative. She comes to draw water and he said, he asked her, he says, give me, a, give me a drink, I'm thirsty. Very similar to later on in John's Gospel when Jesus is on the cross, right, and he says, I thirst. 
And of course, in both of these instances, he's talking in, on sort of two different levels. On the one hand, he's physically thirsty. John makes the point that when he sits down beside the well, beside the well he's tired out from his journey, right? He has a human nature. He hungers, he thirsts, he, he's tired, right? So, so our Lord has physical thirst in this moment, just like on the cross, he had physical thirst. But more what he's saying here is that he thirsts for souls. He thirsts for this woman to, to, to respond to him with love. On the cross, when he says, I thirst, he's saying, I, I, I thirst for, for the love of, of every human being on the face of the planet that has ever lived or will ever live, right? So this sort of spiritual thirst of our Lord for our love. And that's all the commentators going back to the ancient fathers of the church talk about this. When our Lord asks this woman for a drink, it's, it's, it's very much, um, he, he's sort of driving in a special way at this, this deeper meaning of, he, he's telling her, I, 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 want, I want your love. I don't just want this physical water that I'm asking you for, but, but in, a, in a deeper sense, I, I want your love. And it's so important for us to understand that, that in our relationship with God, He's the one who took the initiative and always takes the initiative. We ourselves don't manufacture anything from scratch, right? This is how the Lord works. He, he took the initiative in creating the universe to begin with, which He didn't have to. He took the initiative in becoming incarnate, and He takes the initiative in each of our personal lives to, to come to us and to in, invite us to, to love Him, to, to trust Him as our Savior, to believe in Him, to follow Him. He takes the initiative. And I also want to point out with this, with this first element of conversion that we need to pay close attention to the truth um, of, of if the Lord is, is pursuing people one by one, we see this all throughout the Gospels, He talks to the crowds, but He especially goes after people on a case-by-case, -case, individual basis. We need to always remember that um, in terms of knowing the tremendous value that we have in God's eyes, right? A lot of people, whether consciously or subconsciously, feel themselves to just be a number in terms of their relationship with the Lord. Oh, there's 8 billion people on this planet. How much time could the Lord actually devote to, to caring about me? Which is, of course, absurd because the Lord is outside of time and He's perfect being and goodness. So, like, He's not bound by any of those limits and He can love each of us as if we were the only person that ever existed on the face of the planet. Uh, time is not a constraint for Him. He's not bound by that or anything else. But sometimes we can just sort of, the way we live, the way we think about our relationship with the Lord, the way we relate to Him, we can end up falling into this, this trap of thinking that, oh, I'm just another number. He doesn't really care that much about me. He's got better things to do, whatever. When we see Him take time in the Gospels to go after individual people, the parable of the lost sheep is just sort of the, the paradigm of this. We need to remember the tremendous value that we have in, in God's eyes and to never... To never doubt that. Anyone who thinks that, you know, the God of Christianity just treats people as a number hasn't read the Gospels, right? <laughs> because the Lord, all He does is He goes after, after people all the time, all the time, taking the initiative. So He begins this conversation with this woman. He takes this initiative. The second thing He does, it's very interesting. You, you might say that He sort of, sort of enters into her heart and He calls out her sin. Right? He enters into her heart and he convicts her of her sin. He says, go, go call your husband. She says, oh, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right in saying you don't have a husband because you've had five husbands. 
and the man you live with now is, is not your husband. Right? And so he uses his, obviously, divine knowledge of her life to, to name her sin. Sort of enters into her heart, and he calls that out. And the important thing to note here is that the woman is, is open to being convicted of her sin by the Lord. This is what the Lord does with us if we allow Him in our conscience, through other people, in our prayer. He'll enter into our heart and He'll, if we allow Him, He will call out our sin. He'll name it. He'll say, this is, this is the, the wound that you have that is keeping you from me. He'll call it out and we then have a choice to make. We can, we can sort of agree with, with what He names you can say, you're right, Lord, as the woman in, in the gospel does. She allows him to name that sin. Or we can build, we can build up a wall. And we, and we can pretend that that sin isn't real. We can blame other people for it. We can sort of lie to ourselves and lie to the Lord and say, no, 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 like that's not me. We can do all sorts of things to avoid accepting Jesus' naming of our sin. Like we, we, we have to avoid that at all costs, right? We have to avoid that at all costs. This woman, thanks be to God, she accepts our Lord's naming of her sin. She says, I perceive you're a prophet. She says, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I, I, I have sinned in these ways. I have had five husbands and now I'm living with a man who's not my husband, right? She allows him to call that out. And then the next thing the Lord does in, in sort of entering into her heart, and he does this with us too, again, only if we let him, is that he names the ways in which we try and solve our misery, which comes from sin, our, our lack, our weakness. We, we try and solve it through things other than the Savior. Right? We try and provide solutions that are not the solution of Jesus Christ to the pain and the sin and, and, and the emptiness and all these different things that we experience within our hearts. We try and solve it in other ways. And the symbol that the fathers of the church and others always point out is, is this sort of seeking worldly or empty or half solutions to the, the, the emptiness in our heart, the, the lack of God, the lack of salvation. The symbol of that is this, is this well of, of stagnant water. Right? So she's coming to this well to draw water that is, that is kind of sitting there sort of stagnant. And Jesus says, everyone who comes to this well and draws this water is going to be thirsty again. In other words, he's telling her, you can try and, and solve the, the, the misery and the pain and the sorrow of your sin with worldly things. You can try and solve that with, with half solutions, but you're just going to have to keep, keep imbibing and consuming more and more and more. Right? We, we turn very easily to worldly solutions for these, this sort of ultimate problem of needing a savior. We, we think that we'll find our security in just amassing a bunch of wealth. Or we think we'll find security in other people's opinion of us and always being the center of attention. We think we'll, we turn when, when we feel insecure and we should call on the Lord, we turn to food and entertainment and lust and all these different things that do not provide the definitive solution for this this pain and emptiness that we experience because of original sin and because of our personal sin. But we, we turn to all those things and Jesus tells this woman, he says, look, you can keep doing that. You can keep coming back to this well and drawing water over and over and over again. It's, you, you're, you're always going to be thirsty. You're never going to be satisfied. He says, or 
if he says, if you knew the gift of God and who is who is speaking to you right now, you would ask him for living water, not stagnant water. You would ask him for living water, and he would give you living water that wells up for eternal life. In other words, he tells her, you, you have a choice. You, you can keep seeking solace and answers and whatever in the world. You can keep doing that, but you're just going to have to keep at it. You're just going to have to keep at it, and it's never going to satisfy. Or you can turn to me, and I will give you living water. <laughs> I will give you living water that, that wells up to eternal life. So he, he convicts her, and he does the same with us. He comes into our hearts if we let him. He convicts us as to our sin, our lack, our emptiness. He names all the ways in which we try and fill that with inadequate solutions. And then, and this is the most important part, <laughs> he, he proclaims himself as the Savior, as the solution. He proclaims himself as the solution. He doesn't just come into our heart and name <laughs> these terrible things and then leave us there. He comes and he names them, he says, he says, you need a Savior, right? You need a Savior. You need wholeness and healing and fulfillment. You need a Savior. And you know, you know who can save you? I can. That's what he tells the woman. She says, when the Messiah comes, he'll, 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 he'll teach us all things. He'll reveal all things to us. And he says, I am He. I am He. I am the Savior. That's exactly what the Lord does to us. He invites us to, to respond with faith to his proclamation that he's the Savior. To trust him or to trust all these half-solutions that really are ultimately going to avail us nothing. He, he asks us to, to trust him. We know, of course, that the woman does. By the end of the Gospel, she's back in her town just telling anyone and everyone. She's forgotten about her shame. She would have been an outcast in that town. Having, having had five husbands, she would have been a total outcast. And yet she, goes, she forgets, because she's encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, she forgets her shame. She goes back to the city, and she, she proclaims Him as the Messiah. She says, come out and see this man. I think He's the Messiah. I think He's the Savior. All right, so she responds to His invitation, His proclamation. She responds in faith. And the thing I want to get across to you all is that this process has to happen at a certain point in our life for the first time. And God willing, if we grew up in a wonderful family, maybe it even started happening from a very young age, this whole process of allowing the Lord into our hearts to name our, 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 our failures and our sins and our lack and how, and how we're trying to solve that ourselves and then letting, letting Him in. I've, I've encountered amazingly docile and, and incredible six and seven year olds, you know, who, who have already started upon this path. And, and thanks be to God when that's the case. For many of us, perhaps it came, it came later in life. But whenever the moment happened for us to really turn to the Lord and, and to claim Him as Savior, that has to keep happening. That has to keep happening. Maybe it's 10 a.m. and you're, you're in the daily grind of whatever you're doing and, and, and you, you turn into your heart and you realize, well, I've been, I've been kind of like giving in to sadness and discouragement for the past hour and I'm going to let the Lord con convict me of that, <laughs> of this lack of trust in Him. And, and throughout that hour of the sadness and discouragement, I've tried to solve that problem by eating a bunch of donuts, by complaining about people to the, the others that I'm working with. I've tried to solve that problem by, you, you name it, we all have our favorite like worldly ways 
to solve problems that are ultimately spiritual. And in that moment at 10 a.m., have the courage to turn to the Lord and, and, and let Him tell you, I'm the solution, not all these things. Will you trust me? Right? Will you trust me to fill this void? And, and for us to have the courage to say, yeah, Lord, I'll, I'll trust you with this. I know you're the Savior. None of these other things can save me or even provide me an ounce of, of real fulfillment. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. And so today we can all turn to the Lord and, and ask for this courage to, to let Him in, let Him into our hearts, let Him convict us, and then to turn to Him uh, for the source of salvation and healing.